welcome to Vynamics Hi-Fi Podcast. Today's episode, MACRA and MIPS and APMs, oh my. I'm Mindy McGrath, Healthcare Industry Learning Lead and Public Health Sector Advisor, and I'm joined by my friend, co-host, and fellow healthcare industry enthusiast, Ryan Hummel, Senior Director of Vynamic. Hi, Mindy. Just a reminder, the Vynamic Hi-Fi Podcast is our take on specific healthcare industry topics that are real, they're relevant, and worth discussing. As a reminder, Vynamic views the healthcare industry as five interwoven sectors, and we will be exploring topics relevant to one or many of these sectors during each episode. In today's episode, we're chatting about the Medicare Access and CHIP Reauthorization Act. And since that's a mouthful, we'll refer to it by its acronym, MACRA. With the healthcare industry in various phases of value-driven healthcare, MACRA represents a potential transformative shift in the direction of physician payment and could impact strategy across the healthcare community. We'll discuss where the healthcare industry is as we conclude the transition year. And as always, stay tuned for the end of the show's parting thoughts. It's that thing that Ryan and I have either read or heard that we'd like to share with you. How are you doing this morning, Ryan? I'm good. Doing great, Mindy. How are you? Good. Excellent. I see you're caffeinated and ready to go. Well, you know, I think the last podcast we got very caffeinated. I had my coffee here, but today I need to stay hydrated. This is an acronym laden podcast. So we have to make sure that I'm enunciating and I'm hydrated for it. Okay. You okay. ready to go? I am ready to go too. A little housekeeping before we start. Um, I have here the famous jargon jug. Uh, so every time we use industry slang or jargon, a dollar is added to the pot. Ryan, I think you actually may have some IOUs in there from the last podcast. I already paid up on my debts. You did. By the way, one of these times we're going to have a video podcast to show that this jar is real. It is real, and there is actually <laughs> money, money in, in it. There, yes. <laughs> so I'll be collecting the IOUs at the end of this. <laughs> Sound good? Uh, it sounds good. I'll, I'll be adding to this jar for this topic, I think. Okay. Ryan, let's talk macro. Let's. The buzzword value-driven care has been picking up steam over the past few years, only it's really not a buzzword anymore as payers begin to organize their contracting and reimbursement along these lines with really the intent of moving the healthcare system away from fee-for-service and into a payment or a reimbursement model that focuses less on volume and more on value and quality and cost management. Uh, and I use the word value um, loosely or maybe in quotations because this term is being defined in many ways right now. But really, since the passage of the Affordable Care Act, there have been many pilots and demonstrations that have started to orient the efforts that address the improvement of the quality of care, cost of care, the, the development of healthcare information infrastructure, and various payment and delivery reforms. And so to me, MACRA is really the next mile on the road to transition our healthcare system from one that's based on volume mm -hmm. to a value system. Although it is a major mile and one that has pretty broad implications for the rest of the industry. Yeah, I, I agree, Mindy. And you know, before we get into the debate and discussion on the on the influence of macro, I think it would be important if we give the audience and ourselves the the macro some a quick recap. And it's important to mention that macro is a two-track program that was passed from by Congress, and the intentions were to streamline patient outcome drivers to determine reimbursement levels. So track, run, track one of MACRA is centered around merit-based incentive payment systems, as you mentioned, MIPS, 
And track two of Macro incorporates some alternative payment models or APMs. The purpose of both payment tracks is to give providers, give healthcare providers incentives to improve patient care and service quality while keeping costs under control. Real easy to do, right, Mindy? Right. <laughs> um, track one, the MIPS track, it helps to link fee-for-service payments, traditional fee-for-service payments, um, for quality and value. These payment adjustments would then be based on MIPS-eligible clinician performance on specific measures and activities within four overall performance categories. An alternative payment model, the APM, is a payment approach that rewards providers for delivering high-quality and cost-efficient care as well. Advanced APMs are a subset of the larger APMs, and they let practices earn even more rewards in exchange for taking on risk and in accordance to patient outcomes. So these APMs are new approaches to reimbursement that incentivize quality and value. Yeah. So now you know why I needed to be hydrated. Right. <laughs> a lot of acronyms. Yes. But acronyms aside, really, many in the industry see this bipartisan legislation, which was signed into law, I'm going to say it was like a April of 2015, was really the beginning, or almost like the Kickstarter, right, for altering how physicians are paid by Medicare and emphasizing that move from volume to value-based payments. So in other words, I think many in the industry really felt that when MACRA was signed into law, it had the potential to be transformative. And while the focus of MACRA right now is on how Medicare, the Medicare program pays clinicians, the idea was really much bigger than that, mm -hmm. right? It is to really transition the entire healthcare payment model to this construct that moves away from fee-for-service and moves away from volume-driven dri care. So my question to you, Rye, is... How important do you think MACRA is today? The question of the day, right? So, so judging from our friends and, and clients in the provider industry, both in and around our local area, regionally and nationally, you know, my argument is that it's not only just a priority, um, but it has the potential to be extremely important overall for the healthcare industry. Uh, it helps reinforce the tone within the industry that fee-for-service is no longer sustainable. After many years of conversation, it's no longer sustainable. And MACRA is legisl legislation that, as you mentioned, specific to Medicare, the second largest healthcare program in the country. And I'm not naive to the fact that something like three out of four clinicians don't feel prepared for MACRA reporting, so we have to be clear about that. But I think it's important to recognize that these efforts, the um, movements take time, even a generation to take foothold in helping outcomes in our kind of right now society, it is really hard to take a holistic look at these initiatives in the long term. But if we take a step back, consider these ambitious goals that the Health and Human Services was trying to achieve related to value-based care, you can see how pieces of this macro legislation support the overall goals for Medicare payments. Goal one was that 30% of Medicare payments would be tied to quality or value through a vehicle called those alternative payment programs by the end of 2016, and then 50% by the end of 2018. And goal two was to establish 85% of Medicare fee-for-service payments to be linked to quality programs by 2016, and even 90% by 2018. So from a high-level view, you can see how my view is that it's very important, and it helps facilitate meeting these goals. The key words included in these goals, as you heard them, are value and quality. You made some good points about how MACRA fits into the overarching goals for Medicare, but for all the fanfare around MACRA, 
I'm not sure that it's warranted just as much attention as maybe it should have. It feels to me like MACRA has been a little bit of this sleeper issue, which we sometimes see in the healthcare world. And it's surprising, though, to me, given the potential transformative impact that this legislation has on moving the healthcare system towards more value-driven care. MACRA really intends to change the way that clinicians are paid by Medicare. That's big. Mm -hmm. That's a huge, huge deal. It's major. But here is where I'm hung up. So we've concluded the first reporting year in 2017, and those results impact payment modifications in 2019. So will this become one of those panic button issues once the effects of the payment modifications are felt in 2019? I mean, the feedback that we've heard from clinicians is really all over the place in terms of their awareness, their readiness, and whether there is a real clear understanding of how this 2017 transition year is going to impact them in 2019. No, I hear you, Mandy. It's a good point that clinicians are kind of all over the place. But I think that there are some some themes in talking to them, and I don't mean to speak on behalf of clinicians and providers, but I'm going to anyway. Um, after talking to these folks, and, and you have connections as well, the ideas and concepts and intentions from MACRA and its options of MIPS and APS have have merit and they agree, but with all these initiatives, it takes people, support, time, resources to fundamentally change the way we treat patients. And CPC Plus has some of that functionality to help that, more of that in a minute. But I would agree that it's been a sleeper issue to some clinicians and even other healthcare organizations and hospital systems, um, like and other organizations across sectors like life sciences and health plans. What will likely happen is that first report that you mentioned in this transition year will be published, and I'm, I'm thinking that MAC will garner more attention. You also mentioned the sustainability of a fee-for-service model, and it's important to recall that when MACRA was passed in 2015, it was intended to be intentionally disruptive. Ma uh, MACRA offers multiple pathways with varying levels of risk and reward for clinicians to tie more of their payments to quality and value through risk-bearing, coordinated care models and moves away from that traditional fee-for-service model we've been talking about. And this is a discussion that has been going on for a long time. It absolutely has. I mean, I know it's been going on for a long time, right? Yeah. And is it going to stick this time, right? Right. It, that, that's exactly, I think, the point in this is, is it going to stick? Right. And, and, and I think that you made this point earlier, but MACRA is poised or intended to drive increased participation um, in coordinate, coordinated care models across all payers, not just Medicare. And some APS, APMs actually provide upfront funds for providers to hire infrastructure and resources at the practice level to help support. The, you know, the issue is that they, have, they may not have a system-wide understanding of how to do that efficiently, right? So this is new, right? To, able, to be able to have funds upfront to purchase this, but are they doing it effectively and do they know exactly what they need? Right. Um, just a quick for instance. So for instance, if a CPC plus practice enrolled in track two and they have about five, around 500 Medicare beneficiaries, for example, they could get roughly $200,000 in additional payments a year from the program's incentives. This is separate from the 5% macro bonus. So that means if you had $200,000 a year each year for five years, that can be, I don't know, a nurse, a medical assistant, a scribe or two, or a social worker to help behavioral issues. And this may help support the media initiative that was not there in past programs. 
Correct, correct. And I think we'll have to see kind of how that plays itself out. I mean, honestly, I, I know these were not new goals, but MACRA was the legislation that gave these goals, I think, almost like a, a foundation to work from. And this is significant, and it is reasonable to expect that absorbing and adopting this type of transition may be bumpy um, or, frankly, even painful for payers and providers alike as we move along and really get, I, I guess, a handle on on how to absorb macra, macra into the practice of the healthcare system. Yeah, and, and it does sound simple-ish, <laughs> right. um, that there are two payment tracks, performance-based. But what, what we have seen over the course of this past year is anything but simple, right? So, so Congress intended this law to pivot the industry, and we keep saying this, on a path toward delivering much more cost-effective and outcomes-based healthcare. Congress and also the administration has made it clear um, that it will be an evolutionary process and it takes time over many years. But do not mistake this transition year, this first transition year, as similar to past laws or policy changes that have more about been delays or kicking the can down the road. The macro journey is clearly underway and I think we're full speed ahead. Um, we, what seems to make it difficult or a little more complex than from the naked eye, is that clinicians who are considering the APM track really must evaluate where their practice is today and what they want it to be in the future. And, and internally, I don't think they have the cap that not many practices have the capability to do that task, given some of the unknowns and the, and the vacillating that even CMS has done in the past year. I agree that we are definitely full speed ahead with MACRA, but I'm not convinced yet that MACRA is working in terms of meeting intended goals. I'm trying my best to convince <laughs> you. <laughs> I know. Well, but hear me out. I'm just not convinced yet that MACRA is working in terms of meeting intended goals of improving quality and reducing costs. That's going to take some time. And MedPAC, which is the Independent Advisory Committee for Medicare, seems to agree, as they recently recommended actually canceling the MIPS track and basically rebuilding it with a more with a set of more realistic domains that will, in their words, improve the delivery of care and not just act as checking checking off the box. Yeah, and so I think that's fair. And, and let's discuss, I think that's more of an optimization of realizing tracks that work and tracks that don't work. But I'm gonna predict that we see that MACRA is going to work more so in the APM payment track, in the MITS payment track. Um, and here's why I say that. Many of clinicians that qualify for risk-based models have, have been developing capabilities recently and understand what it takes to achieve those measurements in the APM models. It's pretty clear, right? And, and there's far more momentum, in my, in my opinion, around the APM payment track because it seems to be a lot more cl clinician and provider centric. But let's talk about this some more. On to topic two, is macro working? So we've recently concluded year one in what's been termed the transition year. And we've had new leadership structures change at HHS, not once, but twice. Some, some significant turnover, yep. Yeah, and then we also have new leadership at CMS, which means that different perspectives on the ex execution of MACRA are going to play themselves out. And we have clearly seen it. CMS seems to be indicating that it is moving forward with value-driven care models, but they have been really all over the map on several items from things like changing volume measures, changing the weighted averages for MIPS, MIPS domains to really 
taking a more holistic look at MACRA and trying to slow down the pace on some things and then instituting considerable outreach to the physician community or the provider community on future APM models. I think this uncertainty requires some considerable flexibility from clinicians, and that is not always an easy thing to do if you've been headed down a certain path. Mm. right? So in the second year of this quality payment program model, which includes the MIPS track and the APM track, I think the CMS hopes to further streamline reporting requirements while maintaining Medicare quality and continuing to push towards value-driven care. I mean, last November, the the CMS released a final rule for the quality payment program, um, which is now in its second year. And I think probably the greatest surprise for the 2018 guidance is this inclusion of cost measures. Mm -hmm. It's really a domain that clinicians, I think we're hopeful, might get zeroed out or or just put on the side for right now. Um, This cost domain will be a major differentiating factor among clinicians in MIPS over time. And, And CMS's inclusion of cost in the 2018 performance period really signals that the administration supports using cost as a measure of value and to determine MIPS payment adjustments based on the amount of feedback from major medical groups, I think that was a surprise. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing around this is that awareness and confusion really seem to be the words that come to mind when you talk about MACRA with anybody that is in the provider community. I mean, the payment effect's not going to be felt until 2019, yet the measurement period just concluded. It's difficult to imagine that many clinicians have been able to um, really kind of wrap their heads around it this year, especially as HHS and CMS have openly contemplated so many changes to MACRA without really a lot of concrete guidance. No, you're right. And and you make a good point. It's the transition year, and there's been awareness issues, confusion, and maybe a lack of preparation that adequately, adequately captures what this year has looked like. And you mentioned all these changes, right? So the CMS has been on quite a roll <laughs> with some of these elements of MACRA canceling mandatory bundled payment programs that showed savings, but then surprising everyone with the announcement that Medicare Advantage programs could be included in the QPP program. Now, I didn't read through the 3,000-page QPP rule like I'm sure you did, Mindy. Guilty Um, as charged. (laughs) (laughs) But CMS has added things like increased telemedicine reimbursement codes for consultations on things like chronic care management, lung screening, interactive complexity, psychotherapy crises, and also some health risk assessment. This new rule brings the total number of Medicare-covered codes for telehealth to 96. I think that's a huge change and could be very impactful. Um, Of note, remote patient monitoring was also unbundled. MIPS may be another story, but here is the concern about MIPS track in particular. Um, I'm going to go survey. I'm going to give you a study because I, you know, we know I'm good for that. Stack guy. Yeah. So in a recent survey I found of more than 2,000 providers published by Healthcare Informatics, 43% said they need help with macro preparation. 30% said that they're not prepared at all. And only 27% said they're ready to go. And of note, only 13% of respondents said that they participate solely in value-based payments. 35% said they participate in both fee-for-service and value-based. And here's the kicker. 52% said they participate still in solely fee-for-service models. So MACRA is here. Um, While CMS adjusted flexibility for the first year of participation in MACRA, 
it's clear that many providers may be unprepared for changes that will occur when it goes into full effect next year. Um, these results did, however, reveal a bright spot. I feel like I was doomsdaying on that study. Okay. But most providers indicated that they were at least somewhat prepared to report clinical data for the merit-based incentive payment system, MIPS. And CMS has committed $100 million over five years to help some of these smaller practices cope with macro changes. I wonder if it's enough. Hmm. I mean, it's critical that providers have a clear grasp and roadmap for where CMS is moving these provider payments so that they can start adjusting things like workflows and begin acquiring the tools and the resources that they will need. And I think, you know, taming the data that these providers are going to have to have to conform with all of the reporting requirements of MIPS and APMs is really a daunting task for many physician practices. I think it's going to take really a while to see that the quality and the value that CMS is seeking actually play itself out. Here's what I think MACRA has done right, um, right off the bat, actually. I think that MACRA, when it was passed, started to really change the way that conversations were being held. It's changing things like collaborations, and it increased the curiosity about advancing value-driven care. Um, those things are all picking up steam. I mean, specifically, this notion of changing conversations between entities like health plans and providers that are discussing different ways to work together. And health plans are searching for providers who are willing to take on more risk for more reward. It may not be in the macro construct, but the concept of sharing risk and reward is there. And that's important because it indicates that the market is starting to adopt a similar thinking to some of the policy or the legislation that we've seen. And these conversations are not just isolated to health plans and providers. I mean, we're starting to see that these conversations around sharing risk and defining what value mean has actually extended in well into the life sciences sector as well. Very interesting. Yeah. So when we're asked, you know, I think sometimes what can providers do to prepare for MACRA, right now, the best response may be to begin evaluating how the organization wants to interact with Medicare. Um, is it the MIPS track? Is it some form of an APM model or module? The, the strategic planning and evaluation part, I think for providers is really important to start right now. Um, not jumping into something with, you know, maybe a reactionary, I want to jump into it now because I realize this is going to affect, you know, payment flows in the future, but really spending some time right now in, in planning out who does your organization want to be right. within the macro program is an important question to be answering. And I think spending the time to really kind of go through and map out, um, what that might look like in the future to your organization is critical because anybody that any any healthcare entity that's going to jump into these macro tracks because they feel like they're late to the game, mm -hmm. I think is going to find that they end up on the the short end of of um, how these payment or reimbursement models um, will work in the future because they didn't think about it more strategically. Right, and as someone who has worked in the provider industry, at times it's difficult to sit down and do some proactive planning on that. And you mentioned. APM models, but another activity that health systems in particular could be doing right now is doing a little modeling on the APM models, and, and more specifically, evaluating comfort levels with ACOs and accountable care organization models, understanding their capabilities, you know, understanding if they're actually already comfortable with risk, with risk sharing because they already have commercial contracts already in place. 
Um, doing gap assessments is also something that, you know, I know we've talked about recommending. What is missing once a decision has been made on how to interact with macro? What are they missing that they can't do today that they will need to do tomorrow? As with any type of sizable legislation like this, there are additional impacts when a move like macro is made. Um, commercial adoption of value-based purchasing is part of a bigger picture. Look, we're seeing value and risk-based risk models emerging across healthcare systems, Medicare or not Medicare. And what that suggests is that the industry is beginning, finally, to collectively accept that fee-for-service will not be a mainstay. I mentioned over 50% still practice fee-for-service, but if you would have asked that question 10 years ago, it would have been much more. So we know that the, the waves are changing. Um, given the dollars that Medicare spends and the number of lives the program covers, MACRA is a very important piece to continuing this pivot. Okay, so here's the question from topic two. Is it working? From is it important to is it working? Right. I like it. I like what we're doing here. <laughs> I, you know, I think right now we could probably honestly say that it's too early to tell and that we need to see a readout um, sometime, I think, in first quarter of 2018 to have a sense of what success may actually look like. It does seem like there are going to be multiple iterations of macro, which we typically see in any type of legislation like this, and that as we go forward, there are going to be new pilots w that will be added that will allow clinicians to be able to set up for future success. The other thing is that if CMS, and, and this is just another point around MACRA, um, this past year there have been a lot of exemptions made to practices um, that either either didn't qualify for being part of MACRA or they were given special exemptions mm -hmm. because of hardships that they had in, in their ability to report. That isn't going to be an interesting challenge that CMS is going to have to address at some point because if they continue to allow exemptions, there will be a large number of clinicians that are still living in this fee-for-service world while you have others that are really living in the, the macro world. That have converted, yeah. Right, and I think this could be problematic on many levels. Um, you know, I think the payment adjustment years are, they're, they're right now. And I'm not convinced that providers won't be surprised by their adjustments in 2019. I just, I don't know. I just feel like it's 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 going to be a surprise to many providers when they see how the payment is modified to them in 2019. Right. And you mentioned reimbursement really isn't impacted until 2019. And that is likely when we see healthcare mass reaction to macro. You know, we, we've talked about this before. When it, when it affects your pocketbook, that's when you start opening your eyes a little bit. Many providers are attempting to manage this transition on their own, it should be noted. New processes, analytics, hiring, and reporting – and we know some will succeed and have some engines behind it, and so, uh, but, but at what cost? Are they doing it effectively? And others we know may not do so well and, and may earn penalties for that effort. Yeah. The other aspect of MACRA that we touched on is the impact that MACRA has on other sectors. And I think you're correct that it is a part of this broad move away from fee-for-service and that that has a trickle-down effect on health plans, on life sciences, but for different reasons. So what plans are realizing now is that this is a level of change that is, it's really fundamental, mm -hmm. right? It's not just this um, piece of legislation that you can kind of brush off. It's a fundamental change in the way that a big program is thinking about value and moving away from a traditional payment model. 
Um, we don't have all the answers yet for how this will affect providers and, and health plans. But what we do know is that MACRA is about a lot more than just Medicare. And I think for Mac MACRA, it's going to give providers a reason to pressure insurers or health plans to adopt similar models. Because listen, if I'm a provider, right, and I am succeeding in one of these APM models, mm -hmm. Why wouldn't I go back to health plans and say, listen, I've built these capabilities. I'm doing them well. I want to look at look the what way I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. I want to look at our contracts. And and I think the pressure might be there to to say to health plans, we should be mirroring these commercial contracts similar to what we're doing in the Medicare space. Um, so I think that that is going to be something that we see a lot of. Um, you know, questions I think that remain for health plans include things like how quickly are they going to adopt risk-based payment models to align with MACRA? So we know they already exist. They're already doing risk-based contracting mm -hmm. with the provider world. The question is, are they going to adjust any of these contracts to be more reflective of how MACRA is setting up, or the CMS is, is setting up under MACRA, their contracting kind of approach or reimbursement approach? And then the other question, I, and I think as we see the, the industry, there's been a lot of convergence in the industry, right, around the lines are, are blurring between providers and health plans. So, you know, will health plans actually walk this journey with health systems? And will it be done so in a way that's collaborative? Mm -hmm. Or will it be done so in a way that transactional, like is it's transactional, yeah. right? I think for life sciences, MACRA clearly should be an indicator that value-driven contracting is going to include pharmacy, just plain and simple. I mean, given the way that MIPS and APM tracks are being measured, will life sciences organizations find ways that their medicines can help clinicians meet these performance expectations? Because when all is said and done and you say, well, what is MACRA ultimately about? It's ultimately about raising the bar on performance. Mm -hmm. And that can't be isolated to just the clinical or medical stream of it. It's got to include the pharmacy component of it. So MACRA, to me, has those tentacles that spread into other sectors uh, very clearly. And something to consider as we wrap up today's episode, I'd summarize by saying that MACRA is a seismic shift, not only in payment, but the many aspects that go into delivering better quality and care at a provider level. It's not the end-all and be-all, but I believe it's another piece of the puzzle in advancing value-based care. We're moving the healthcare system to a meritocracy. We know that where high performers are and should be rewarded under MACRA, and low performers just will not. There will be needed modifications and evolutions along the way, but there always are with any big program. That said, clinicians really can't wait much longer to figure out their MACRA approach, make decisions on the payment track they want to try to achieve, and make those necessary investments to their roadmap for getting there. And Ryan, we could be talking about MACRA for a very long time, but we it's time could. to wrap up this episode. for our parting thoughts. So Ryan, I'm going to go first if you don't mind. Fire away. Thanks. Sticking to the theme of alternative payment models, accountable care organizations, or ACOs as they're termed in the healthcare market, have really been a bit, I think, of an enigma to many in the healthcare industry. Part of that has been due to the many ways that an ACO is structured and things like its risk tolerance level, its organizational structure, its contracting structure. Um, I read a, a study or a report by Brookings Institute published um, 
about a month and a half ago, and it was an interesting piece entitled The Impact of Accountable Care Origins and the Future of Accountable Care Organizations. And it provided a really nice, I thought, clean breakdown on what an ACO is and the unique characteristics of these risk-bearing models and the differences in contracts with um, with payers. So if you're interested in learning more about ACOs, you can find the link on the podcast description page. Yeah, and that's a great parting thought. I, I'm going to try to tie in my parting thought with the conversation that we just had about value-based care. So every day, and especially recently, we've heard an onslaught of huge conglomerate private industries forming partnerships in the healthcare industry. And, you know, you could read the New York Times, uh, you could read any kind of healthcare website that shows some of the most recent uh, moves between CVS and Aetna and Amazon and Berkshire Hathaway and J.P. Morgan. And what I uh, am interested to see, you know, we just talked about kind of the slow-moving um, macro impact and effectiveness. And I think private industry and, and employers are kind of getting tired of this slow moving, not seeing the outcomes in a fast pace, what they're used to, right? So I'm, I am both concerned and, and intrigued to see how they think they can handle this topic of healthcare. And if they're going to address things down further in the value stream, which seem to be the traditional approach of treating patients and prescriptions and, and maybe consider these big partnerships addressing other things farther up on the value stream, like social determinants, proactive care. Because we know at the end of the day, treating and reacting to the healthcare problem is part of the cost problem. And if we're able to proactively treat some of these social determinants, we know that studies have shown that that will affect um, wellness and costs downstream. So excited to see how that's going to pan out. So this concludes today's Hi-Fi podcast, and we want to hear from you about today's episode or other topics that are on your mind. Please feel free to contact us at 267-930-4711 and share your message. And for additional conversation about the work that we are doing in the healthcare industry or a deeper follow-up on how Vynamic can assist you with your business initiatives, please contact us at high-five at vynamic.com. And you can find additional insights on dynamic.com slash insights page. And for links to anything that we talked about today, visit the episode's podcast description on your favorite podcast app. Until the next cast, have a great day. Thanks, Mindy.